Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. And let's go to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, we want to uh, continue tonight on this series that uh, we have been working on uh, over, well, last Wednesday, of course, we had uh, six days of faith, but uh, the mature believer, and I believe this is part 13, and uh, I was talking to uh, Pastor Michelle today, and I said, I just, um, I'm just going to stay with it because there's no place to just jump off of it, so we'll just stay with it. And uh, we want to look uh, specifically tonight at the role of the local church in the maturity of the believer. And uh, the goal of the Christian life is maturity. Uh, I heard a minister say that years ago at a conference that I was at uh, with pastor. And he said, the goal of the Christian life is maturity. And it is. You know, the, the, the goal of the Christian life is to grow up into the things of God. And uh, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, uh, he starts, and of course he says he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come in the unity or into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lay in wait to deceive. That's a very important word, especially tonight, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. And so we won't spend a lot of time on it, but of course he says for the perfecting of the saints or the furnishing or the equipping of the saints. Uh, so one of the things that happens in the local church under the fivefold ministries is I'm furnished or I'm equipped with what I need for the uh, work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And then he says until they come to a perfect man, which is fully grown or mature. Uh, maturity. And so that's the same concept that you see in a natural family. Uh, You know, natural parents, their job is to give those children the furnishing or the equipping that they need to be successful in their life Uh, and and to get them to arrive at maturity. For instance, when when you see children that, uh, uh, how do I want to say it? Well, the best way to say it is they're, they're not furnished, they're not equipped, with what they need. I don't mean things. Things are important and we give things and we give rewards. Uh, just go in Liliana's room and you'll, you'll see that. But the, the, the point is, is what is more important is that I'm equipping them with what's maturing them. Amen. That, that's why you, in some instances you'll have kids that leave home and they know nothing about budgeting their money. They know nothing about writing a check. They know, which we don't do that a lot anymore, but, right, they, 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 they know nothing about being an adult because there's no maturity there. Amen. And so you're sending a child out in an adult body. Well, even though they're in a, an adult body, they're going to make childish decisions. Is that right? But if I take the time... And I set them down and I work on this is how you work out a budget. This is how you plan your day. This is how you organize things, right? If I'm, if I'm explaining these things to them, then what I'm doing is I'm maturing them. I'm growing them up. Amen. And the reason for that equipping, again, is to arrive at maturity. And for one reason is so that the believer is no longer a child. 
that can be moved by winds of doctrine. All right? Uh, if, if, if you look at things in, in the world uh, just where uh, entertainment's concerned, you know, I mean, it's this is the fad one month, this is the fad this month, right? And, and if you talk to a child, you'll say, uh, well, hey, you know, you like this. No, I don't like that anymore. I like this. Well, why do they think that way? Because they're a child. They're immature. It's not bad. It's just immaturity. Amen. And so the defense against deception, notice what he says right here. He says in verse 14 that a child is tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But he said that if a believer matures and comes to that place of maturity, that they won't be deceived. That they won't be deceived. So the defense against deception is maturity. Growing up. Being perfected in the things of God. Hallelujah. When one translation says that an immature believer is driven before the wind of each new doctrine. A fully grown believer is not driven by new doctrine. What we have in a large part in the church today is we have a, a void of doctrine. All right? You see it in the songs that come out. I mean, many of the, the, the gospel music publishing houses, praise and worship publishing houses, they, they put out a lot of Christian radio fodder. There's a lot of entertaining songs, but you have a void of doctrine. Amen. And, and, and you can see you can see where it's being written from the standpoint of, all right, that there, there's no doctrine. And, and Paul writes in Ephesians, and he said the problem will be this new doctrine that shows up, all right? And the immature believer will be driven by that. Hallelujah. It carries the idea of being driven off course by wrong doctrine, and false teachers. Wrong doctrine and false teachers. And the defense against deception is maturity. See, there are things in my just natural life I'm too old to be fooled by. Amen. And there's things that y'all are too old to be fooled by. I hope. <laughs> right? Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, I, I, I used to be able to make a quarter disappear, and my kids just thought that was them. I, now, you know I didn't. But, you know, they, 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 didn't, they, they weren't watching where it went. They were watching what I said. Well, you know, my 34-year-old son is not fooled by that anymore. <laughs> hey, watch this, son. You know, he's not fooled by that. No, my 5-year-old grandson is. What's the difference? 28-plus years. Amen. Do, 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 do you see this? And the defense against deception is maturity. Look at Matthew 24 and 4. Matthew 24 and 4. Deception. Deception is rampant in the world we live in today. And, and, and not, just, not just the elementary things, not just the political parties. I, I need you to understand something. Politicians have been lying for decades. <laughs> Amen. The polit politicians were lying in Jesus' day. All right? That's the nature of politics. That's why the Bible's against it. That's why the Bible's against party platforms. Party spirits. That's what, it's, that's what it says in the, in, in the book of Galatians. When it talks about factions, those party spirits. All right? And so politicians have been lying. All right? But there are spirits of deception, spirits of deception that are driving people and driving agendas. Notice Matthew 24 and 4. Jesus said, 
Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Now, we're not going to go to all of these, but he said the same thing in Mark 13, 5, and Luke 21, 8. And he said it the same way. They all recorded it the same way. Now, notice, he says, you take heed. That, that phrase, take heed, I talked about that in the series, Refusing the Care, and in my book, Refusing the Care, I taught about how that, that phrase, take heed, means you have to do that. You have to be on guard. You have to pay attention. And notice what Jesus said. Pay attention that nobody deceives you. Take heed. Here's the danger with deception is it's subtle. It doesn't just jump out and go, I'm deception. Right? It's subtle. It's, it's very subtle. Amen. You know, we've used this analogy before over the years. But, you know, if... Uh, 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 you know, now this is not a good thing. I'm not, I'm, I don't like it. But, but you know, uh, people in West Texas where I was from, they used to poison coyotes because they were, they were a nuisance. Well, you know, they didn't pour the poison out there in a, in a heap and the coyote just come up and eat it. They put it in something, right? Our little Maltese dog we had for years, uh, one, one time he injured his back. I don't know, I don't know what he did. Well, I know, I know what he did. His heft was more than his, than his muscle. And so uh, he jumped off the bed and, and injured his back. Well, we took him to the doctor, and the doctor found out was, what was wrong and gave him a pain pill. And you know what the doctor said? Wrap it in cheese. Because if you just put the pill in his mouth, what's he going to do? <laughs> right? But you put it in cheese, he's like, Hop. Amen. He got the medicine in him and didn't even know it. The coyote ate the poison and didn't even know it. Do you follow me? So that means that when something looks good, something smells good, something, right? Take heed that nobody deceives you. Pay attention to that. Amen. The, the New American Standard says, see to it that no one deceives you. So see, here again, it's my responsibility to see to it that nobody deceives me. That I'm not deceived by things. Amen. My pastor said something back on March 18, 2020, and he made the statement on the, the very first Wednesday night that they started talking about, you know, lockdowns and these different things. And he said this, I was in Kentucky, my dad had been sick uh, with heart failure, and I was, I was in Kentucky visiting with them and, and, and helping them, and he made, pastor made the statement, he said, you pastors, you better, you better be cautious because you'll dumb your people down, all right? And you'll start, they'll start thinking that you, they can just stay home and watch church on live stream and get everything they need. And he said, you'll destroy your people. Amen. Now, I'm not just talking about the situation we're in. I'm talking about there are a lot of people that are deceived and they think they don't need the fellowship of the brethren, that they don't need the edifying of the other members in the church. Amen. That's what blessed me so much last week to see everybody show up. Uh, all well, it actually ended up being eight nights of faith. But I mean, it was just a blessing. And and listen, you guys come to church regularly, and you come well, so we have no complaints there. But here's here's the the issue: you come to church because you understand the benefit that there is in the local body. You're not deceived by that. Amen. When you look at the local church, our local churches, and you see them thriving and you see them growing, I want you to know that in some cases in the day and age we live in, that's an anomaly. I know of churches, I know of buildings right now that I can go look at that are available for sale because the church has shut down because people quit coming. Now, why did they quit coming? They were deceived into thinking it's not important. It doesn't matter. Amen. But it does matter. It's true that you can worship God anywhere. 
But you cannot worship God in a New Testament fashion without going to the local church. Especially on the first day of the week. And Paul said in Hebrews uh, uh, 10, he said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And even the more as you see the day approaching. So Paul says, as we, or, well, the writer of Hebrews, he says, as we see the day approaching, that we should be having church more, not less. Don't worry, I'm not adding a service. <laughs> but, but that's so important. Nobody is just deceived. They allow themselves to be deceived. Amen. Hallelujah. That's why sound doctrine is so vital. That's why being under sound doctrine is so vital. Because it's hard, it's hard to deceive somebody that has a foundation of doctrine. You have a hard time deceiving them. Notice in 2 Timothy 3. Hallelujah. Now, I flew from Little Rock this morning all the way to Atlanta, Georgia, all the way to Pensacola, Florida, and to Kansas City just to preach this message to you. So, hallelujah. So, that's how I know it's good. Notice in verse 13 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, that can sound like a bummer verse. Well, what's that saying? Evil men are going to get worse. There are things that, ha that are happening in the world today that we would have never thought of 25 years ago or 35 years ago. Amen. You, you got instances like Washington, D.C. right now where, where they're trying to pass a resolution in that, in that city that, you know, kids that come back to school this year, that if their parents didn't get them vaccinated for whatever reason, and I'm not against the vaccination, that's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying I'm against this, that, that parents that didn't get their kids vaccinated, that if the, if the kids 12 or over and they want to get vaccinated, they'll vaccinate them and not tell the parents. And also, the insurance company cannot send an explanation of benefits to the parents. Now, think about that. I, I remember being in the eighth grade, and I'm going to tell all my sordid past. <laughs> I, I remember being in the eighth grade, and I had a teacher named Lucille Newton, and Lucille Newton was about 100 years old. <laughs> uh, at least she seemed like that. Amen? When, when you're 13, everybody's 100 years old. But... The, the, the point is, is I would go to her class, and uh, uh, I, I, I chewed a little Copenhagen snuff back then. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else did, but in any event, Lucille Newton would say, uh, are you chewing snuff? And I'd lie. you say, you lied, you did just like you did. And I said, no, ma'am, she opened your mouth. Well, what do you say somebody's 100 years old grabbing your face telling you to open your mouth? <laughs> you open your mouth. And she said, yep, yep, there it is, there it is, go to the office. Well, I had to go see Mr. Van. Mr. Van was our principal. Mr. Van stood six foot five. When you're in the eighth grade and you're ever how old you are in the eighth grade, 12, 13 years of age, six foot five looks like Goliath. And he can swing a mighty board too, I know. <laughs> Hallelujah. And it had holes in it. And he didn't tap. He swung so hard it whistled. Pop. And in any event, here's, here's why I didn't want to go to the office. The, the pops didn't scare me. He was going to call mom. Now, I'm telling you this for a reason. He was going to, do not be deceived. He's going to call mom. And by the time I got home, I would walk to school and walk home, and by the time I got home, she'd be in the living room saying, the principal called me today. Well, what did he say? Well, he said, uh, we're having a little trouble, Philip, had a little snuff today. Well, here's my point. That was a dip of snuff. 
I wasn't shooting dope. You hear what I'm saying? I wasn't, I wasn't drinking whiskey. I was chewing snuff. And I couldn't get away with it in school. And they called my parents. And now it's, we'll vaccinate your child and won't tell you. We'll take your child to get an abortion and we won't tell you. What, what, why am I telling you this? Evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. Deceiving and being deceived. Is that what it says? Deceiving and being deceived. Hallelujah. He says they'll, they'll deceive because they are deceived. That there are things that are going on in the world that people are doing them because they're deceived. Because there's deception there. Now the way the, the church responds to it is going to be so key. Remember, people that are deceived are blinded. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. The God of this world has blinded them. You can't get angry at the person because they're deceived. They're blinded. Hallelujah. But notice what he says. He says they'll deceive and be deceived, but you continue in the things you've learned and been assured of, knowing of whom you've learned them. And from a child, you've known the Holy Scriptures that are able to make you wise. Now, notice that. Notice what he says. The Scriptures are able to make you wise. What, 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 would, be the, what would be the alternative? What would be the opposite of being wise, being deceived? If I'm in a place where the Word is always being taught on a regular basis, it's hard to deceive me because I know the truth and I'm wise. Jesus said in John chapter 8, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Psalm 119 says, through your precepts I am made wiser than my enemies. Psalm 119 verse 130 says, the entrance of your word gives light and it gives understanding to the simple. So the more word I have, the more wisdom I have, the more insight I have, the more light I have, and the less possible it is to deceive me. Oh, hallelujah. Do, do you see that? Then he said, notice, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished. There's that word again, perfected. Thoroughly furnished is the word perfected. Now, in the perfect context, he's writing to a pastor and explaining that through, through the word, Timothy, you're going to be perfected or thoroughly furnished. But you could apply that to anybody. You could apply that to yourself. Amen. To every good work. So the goal of these evil men is to deceive because they're deceived. And Paul told Timothy, the pastor of the church, that the answer to deception was to continue in the Word. Continue in the Word. The Word is how we mature. The Word is how we grow. Peter said it this way. Desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. Amen. That, that, that's what James said. To receive the engrafted Word which was able to save you. Save your soul. Renew your mind. When we were talking about renewing the mind, let us draw near. Talking about renewing our mind for all those weeks. That's what James said. That as you receive the engrafted word, your mind becomes renewed. Yet you begin to think straight. Hallelujah. The word makes the believer wise to deception. The word makes the believer wise to deception. Hallelujah. You know, very often someone will say, you know, I was watching something in in my spirit, I just felt in my spirit that that was deception. Where did your spirit get the fuel to know that was deception? The Word. You know, Jesus knew he was being deceived by the devil, not just because it was the devil, but because he was spiritually alive and had access to the Word. And he knew how to answer. He knew how to answer with the Word of God. Scripture, Paul says here, is profitable for, number one, for doctrine. 
Doctrine just simply means teaching. It's profitable for doctrine. What does that tell us? That's where we should get our doctrine from, is from the Word of God. From the Word of God. That's where we should get our doctrine. Not from from Grandma taught it and we bought it. Amen. For, For instance... If you ask many believers, and I'm, I'm not, I'm, this is not a trick question, but if you ask many believers, I, I, I saw a preacher on TV the other night, and I'm not being ugly, but I saw a preacher on TV the other night, and he was talking about uh, how the vaccine was the mark of the beast. You know, because there's places saying, well, you know, you can't work here unless you're vaccinated. Well, that's their right. Doesn't mean it's the mark of the beast. I'm not saying I think it's right. But now think about this for a moment. There are Christians buying into that. Why are they buying into that? They don't know doctrine. If I told you, if I told you right now, if I said it cannot be the mark of the beast because the church is still here, where's that at in the Bible? Where's that at in the Word? What chapter? Where's it at? How can I take people and prove to them we're not here when the mark of the beast shows up? Well, look over in Revelation 3. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 1 is the introduction. Jesus appears to John when John was in the Spirit and told him he wanted him to take down these letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor, Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 2 is the record of the letters to the churches of Asia Minor. Revelation chapter 3 now, Revelation chapter 3, 2 and 3 is the letters to the the churches. Revelation chapter 4, the scene changes. Revelation is a collection of, it's, it's the vision that John was showed, but each chapter, you've got to watch the chapters because one chapter shows a scene on earth, another chapter shows a scene on heaven, and then in the middle of that chapter, it can switch. I had a pastor one time that said, you're a pre-tribulation rapture guy, aren't you? I said, yes, I am. And I said, because I, it, it's in the scripture. And he was talking about revelation. I said, uh, 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 if the church is here during the tribulation, why are we around the throne before the beast or the beast system ever shows up? And he said, because revelation is not written in chronological order. I said, that's absolutely wrong. It's written in perfect chronological order. It's, it's a different scene. This scene's in heaven. This scene's on the earth. Now, notice here in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 6. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne, round about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. That is the church. Before the throne, a sea of crystal. People say, well, it's a sea of crystal. Anytime in the Word of God when there's uh, the mention of the word sea and an exact geographical location is not mentioned, it's referencing a group of people. When the Bible talks about the beast or the beast system rising up out of the out of the out of the sea, that's the system. It comes out of humanity. This is this is the church. Notice it's like unto crystal. Crystal is the only flaw in the earth, the only substance in the earth that a flaw can't be hidden in. All the flaws have been removed. The church is standing before the throne as crystal. Hallelujah. That's Revelation chapter 4. Now, Revelation chapter 13. Verse 16. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand of their foreheads, that no man might buy or sell, save he had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that has understanding count the number of beasts. It's the number of a man. And his number is 603 score and 6, 666. But here's what I want you to see. This is Revelation chapter 13. The church is in heaven around the throne in Revelation chapter 4. Now, I know you probably didn't think that, but don't be deceived. 
when someone says that's the mark of the beast, can't be. I'm still here. I'm still here. When someone says we're in the tribulation, can't be. I'm still here. See, don't be deceived. Listen, one day I was driving down the road. I was taking Lily to school. Pastor Michelle was with me. And a tire sensor, tire pressure gauge sensor went off on my car. Well, you know, I don't want to say I ignored it, but, you know, it's one of those things. You know, you think sometimes it's wrong. Well, I just happened to think, now, I, I better look at this. And so I, I, I took my power meter and turned it down where I could see the back tire. And sure enough, that back tire, uh, I'd had that tire repaired, and it, the plug had come out of it. Amen. See, that sensor went off, and I almost deceived myself into thinking it's no big deal. Who's, who's responsible? I see the sensor. Stop. Right? Well, thankfully, I wasn't deceived. But you understand? Don't be deceived. And Paul says the answer to that is the Word. So we can go to the Word and in two verses out of two chapters show you we're not here when the mark of the beast shows up. And it also says that the mark of the beast is in the right hand or the forehead. If you were vaccinated, where'd you get your shot? Amen. Hallelujah. And I, I just want to go on record as saying, folks, listen, I've been vaccinated. My wife's been vaccinated. Not because we're afraid of anything. I have a responsibility. Amen. Our faith is not in a shot. It's in the word of God. Don't let anybody put you under condemnation because you got a vaccination. Amen. Are you following me? So it's, it's not... It's in the right hand or the forehead. And that's not what I'm teaching on. This is the importance of the local church. People that say things like that man was saying, number one, he's not a pastor. He has no responsibility for anybody. It's the easiest thing in the world to get up on TV and spout a bunch of pablum that nobody's going to hold you accountable for. You understand? In the local church, not only are you hearing the word, the person that's preaching you the word is there and accountable for what they're preaching. Amen. Hallelujah. Am I helping you? So he said, Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof. For reproof. Now, I'm, this, I'm not teaching on this specifically. So there's times I need reproof. And notice what he says. He says that the scripture is profitable for that. That's not necessarily talking about a counseling session where you get corrected. If you've, ever, if you've been in the local church long enough, you have come to church at some service and something was said and you went, ooh. I was reproved. Amen. I have been. And you know, nine times, well, I say nine times out of ten. For me, I would say at least maybe nine and a half times out of ten. I had no idea what was going on in people's lives. And the Holy Spirit might have me say something. But then there are times I have known what's been going on in people's lives. And the Holy Spirit still had me say it. This is a safe place to grow up. In the local church. In the local church. And then he says, for correction. Amen. Well, you know, correction, you know, when you correct a child, it doesn't always involve a spanking or grounding or discipline. You just correct them. Right? No, don't respond that way. Amen. But it's correction. When you come to the local church, there's correction. What does correction do? It keeps you out of deception. It keeps you out of deception. And then he said instruction in righteousness. Now that can be instruction in right standing, in right living. It can be instruction in your right standing in Christ. Both of them. But notice, the local church is where I come to learn and to be instructed in right living. Amen. The Phillips translation says, For teaching the faith and correcting error, I like this, for resetting the direction 
of a man's life. Amen. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life, the local church, the teaching I heard, reset the direction of my life. Amen. Keeps me out of error. All these are a defense against deception, and they all come from the Word. They all come from the Word. The Word taught in the local church keeps you safe. It keeps you safe. 1 Timothy 2 and 14. Notice what he says here, 1 Timothy 2 and 14. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Now, I, I use this for a reason. We see that the tool of the enemy from the beginning was deception. Deceive, deception. Deception is to be beguiled or to be cheated. I'm deceived, I'm, I'm cheated, I'm beguiled. Amen. Now, in Genesis 3, I'm going quickly. I don't want to keep you over time tonight too much. And uh, notice something I want you to see. Verse 1, I'll paraphrase some of this. He said, has God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The woman said we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the, the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, there are those that will say she added to the word. I'm not going to disagree with that. Uh, but we may not have a complete record of what God told them. But the point is, is she answered. And notice, notice verse 4. Here is one of the first indicators of deception. You'll not surely die. Wait a minute. God said they would. Do you see that? God said they would. One of the first indicators of deception is that it contradicts the word. That's why you've got to know the word. You've got to be where the word is taught. Amen. That's, that's why ever what form you have your Bible in. If you bring a, a, a hard copy or your, your iPad, or whatever, and you're following along. You're not depending on the screen. you got your Bible. You're taking notes somehow. Why? Because I'm not going to depend on this four pounds of gray matter to remember everything that's being said to me. Eve was in a state of perfection. Wouldn't you agree with that? Adam was created perfect. Eve was created perfect. And notice, the enemy, the first thing he said was, you'll not surely die. And, and she fell for the deception and started looking at the tree in a way she had never looked at the tree before. I remember one time I worked on a job, and a guy that worked there was an elder in a Mormon church. And I'm not against Mormon people. I'm, I'm staunchly against their doctrine. But, but here's the point. He started talking to another person about the Book of Mormon and, and what the Book of Mormon said. And, and the other person looked at me and said, what do you think about that? And before I could say anything, the, the elder said, oh, he don't believe none of this. I said, you're exactly right. I don't, because it contradicts the Word. It goes against the Word. When you, when, when you hear something, listen to something, see something, you don't compare it to anything else than the Word. What's the Word say? It's simple to look on this side of it and say what Eve should have done in the sense of we're over here all these 6,000 years later or so, however many years it was. But the enemy, notice what he said. She said, he said, you'll die. And he said, you won't die. That's deception. Notice, she was deceived. Now, what happened in her deception. She was deceived and offered the fruit to Adam. Now, it wasn't Eve's fault. Understand what I mean by this. Adam is the one that the Bible blames because he wasn't deceived. He did it willingly. Mm -mm -mm. Glory to God. 
You understand? The first thing that should have been said was, no, this is what God said. Amen. One of the first evidences of deception is it contradicts the word. It often goes like this. Is that what that really means? Does that really mean that? I mean, did he really mean, uh, you know, he healed you of all your diseases? Or whatever. You know, does that verse in Philippians 4 really mean he'll meet all your need? Or supply all your need? Do you really think God's that concerned about money? Or whatever the case may be. Amen. See, you go back to the word. Jesus said in his day, the religious leaders gave him a hard time. And he said, you do err not knowing the scriptures. You get into error not knowing the scripture. When Paul wrote to the church at Rome and wrote to the church at Galatia, he wrote the same thing to both of them. And he said, you're believing this and you're believing this. What saith the scriptures? What does the scripture say? Amen. I, I, I see so many ministers and they're so frustrated that people are believing something wrong, but they spend all their time trying to prove that doctrine wrong without teaching their people sound doctrine. Here's what I've learned. If I teach you sound doctrine, you'll recognize false doctrine. You don't, you don't learn what a counterfeit looks like by studying the counterfeit. You learn how to spot a counterfeit by studying the real thing. Amen. See, this is so important. Glory to God. Is that what that really means? I had a guy that came to the church sometime, and, and after my messages, he'd go to people and he'd go, so what do you think about what he said? <laughs> Never came to me and asked me that. <laughs> now, there's, there's nothing wrong with discussing the message. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't be deceived. Amen. I, I read a book one time by a minister that was wildly popular, still wildly popular. And uh, a lot of people I knew were reading that book and people in my church. So I wanted to read it and find out what was being, being, being taught. I have a responsibility. I'm not in charge of your life, but I have a responsibility to make sure people are hearing things safe. And, and in that book, uh, uh, this man made the statement that First John, the book of First John was written to Gnostics. Because his, his issue was that, you know, we're born again and all of our sins are forgiven past, present, and future. So, you know, First John says if we confess our sin, and he said as believers there's no reason to confess our sin because our sins are all forgiven past, present, and future. And so that's written to Gnostics. How can it be written to Gnostics when it's addressed to my little children? You understand? But there are pastors that would recommend that book. Why do they recommend that book? No sound doctrine. Now, I'm not against the man. Man's got a good ministry as far as, you know, things. He believes Jesus is your Savior, but people will be deceived into believing that if they sin, they don't have to confess it. But yet we do. You don't get saved again. The Bible says it cleanses you from all unrighteousness. From whose standpoint? Your standpoint. God never sees you as anything but righteous. But if you sin tonight, you're going to have a sense of unrighteousness, a sense of unworthiness. And when you confess it, that all goes away. Amen. This is so important. Believers have to see to it that they're not deceived. Anything that contradicts the word has to be put away immediately. I had, a, I had a guy come to me one time that, that, that came to the church, and he had a book, a, a certain book by a, a person, a, a book on prayer. And I'd heard this person teach, and, and I knew what they believed. And he said, have you ever read this book? I said, no, I wouldn't read that book. I mean, you do what you want, but no, I wouldn't read that book. You know, here's something I learned a long time ago. If the people that God has placed in my life, if I hear them talk about something, a book, a series, a message, a person, I know that's a safe avenue. If I don't hear them talk about something, then it's not that big of a deal to them. 
if I hear them recommend I don't do something, then I know that's not a safe avenue. And I've had people say, well, you can't run my life. Not trying to run your life. You've got enough to do to run my own. I'm a busy man. Right? But, but here, here's, here's the thing. If something is recognized as deception, you don't, you don't want to go read it just to see what it says. You understand? And, and I've stood in this pulpit thousands of times over the years. And here's, here's my point in saying that. I don't know if I've ever told somebody, don't read something, don't listen to this guy, don't watch this. I wouldn't do that. Because that's not my place to tell you what to do. It's to tell you the word. But if I'm going to mature, I've got to be feeding off consistently off those things that are safe doctrinally. Amen? Hallelujah. In uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 28 through 30, and we'll paraphrase some of this, Paul talked to the, the, the people there, and he said, as he's leaving, the, he's talking to pastors here in Ephesus, and he said, take heed to yourselves and to the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. To feed the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know this. Now watch. He starts off by saying, feed them the word. Teach them the word. Oversee them. Because here's what I know. After I leave, grievous wolves will enter in and they won't spare the flock. And he said, here's what else will happen. There'll be those that arise up out from among yourselves. And they'll speak perverse things, drawing away disciples after them. So the goal is, he says, Paul says, the goal here is that they will come forward with a false message, trying to draw disciples after themselves. They do that in order to gain followers, yet they're violent wolves who don't care about the flock. When a minister gets up and says, it's not that important if you go to church, he don't care about the flock. The Bible says where a person's soul is restored is when they're around the shepherd and around the other sheep. There are things that you get in the local church that you cannot get anywhere else. And it's not just worship. It's not just my good preaching. It's the fellowship of the brothers, the fellowship of the family of God, the fellowship of the life of God that's flowing through each of us. And Paul tells the pastors, you watch for this. Watch it. Amen. Whew. The first line of defense against deception is the pastor in the local church. The defense against wrong teaching is the words you hear taught in the local church. Local church is more important now than it's ever been. It's more important now than it's ever been. And, 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 and I don't care what parachurch organization does this or does that and puts an emphasis on this other thing and another thing. The Bible puts the emphasis on us gathering ourselves together in one accord. The church started gathered together in one accord and it says that they gathered together daily. Yes, they were witnesses of Jesus and to Jesus, but they never forsook gathering together on a regular basis. You cannot get what you can get in the local church at an outside event doing something that's good and doing something that's Christian and doing something that's spiritual, but you won't grow doing that you're expending but you're not receiving amen hallelujah first timothy 3 15 i'm hurrying a little bit first timothy 3 15 but if i tarry he says if i tarry long it's that you may know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of god which is the church of the living god the pillar and the ground of the truth the, the church of the living God, the local church, is the pillar and the ground of the truth. That word pillar is the post, 
the support, the mainstay of the truth. Hallelujah. The word ground is a stay, an anchor, something immovable, something that's steadfast, something that's, that is settled. So the church, the, the local church, supports the truth and anchors me to the truth. Hallelujah. The local church keeps people anchored to the truth. Hallelujah. I have ministers from time to time want to talk or want to, want to come to the church or want to set up a meeting. And one of the first questions I ask them is, who's your pastor? People say, why does that matter? Because I want to know. Right? Even the centurion understood a man under authority operates in authority. I had a guy come to the church one time, and he got upset because I had a, a co-pastor that was a woman. Well, you know, that's my wife. Right? And you never catch any points with a guy by getting mad about his wife. You, you just, right? I mean, if you want me to, right? If I want you to like me, then I'm nice to your wife. Nice to your kids, right? Amen. Hallelujah. I told people one time, I said, you know what? If you want me to like you, you best like my family. Just the way it is. Hallelujah. Well, anyway, so, so I called this guy. I, 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 I forgot who he was when I saw his name, and I, and I called him. He had come visit the church, so I, I called him to say, hey, thank you for coming to visit the church. And he reminded me who he was, and, and it was too late to be rude and hang up. And so... <laughs> So I stayed on the call. But he started telling me how he was a prophet. And he started, he started you know, uh, uh, saying things. And I stopped him. I said, brother, 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 wait a minute. I said, who's your pastor? And he said, uh, well, I'm a prophet. I don't need a pastor. I said, there's your problem right there. And I, and I took him to the word. Well, he didn't want to hear that. Amen. He just wanted to come and say something. That maybe wasn't doctrinally sound. You understand? In the local church, that's not an option. I, listen, I've had people say things about my church and my ministry, and I don't shy away from it. And they say, you can't go to those churches and just do whatever you want. Exactly right. You can't just come here and do whatever you want. Why? Because you got to be safe. Hallelujah. Amen. I've had people say, Pastor Steele, he pastors with a heavy hand. Yes, sir. Amen. Now, now understand who's saying that. Somebody that doesn't want to be under sound doctrine. Amen. I, I'm not heavy. I'm not hard on people. I'm direct with you. I'm straight, but I'm not hard. I won't be hard. Because the Bible says not to be that way, not to wear out the people of God. But here's, here's the point. When somebody says that, they're saying, I'm a target for deception. Because remember what the word does? It reproves, it corrects, it instructs. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. I'm almost done. Bear with me. The local church keeps people anchored to the truth. Here's the thing. If you could remain immovable, steadfast, and settled on your own, the word would have said that, but it didn't. Don't be deceived. You can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. Hallelujah. I've got to listen to my pastor. I've got to listen to other ministers. Preach and teach the word of God. Can't do it on my own. Never treat church like something you just add to your life. It's not just another thing on my agenda. It's not just another thing on my schedule. It's indispensable. I knew a minister one time. I'll wrap up with this. I knew, I knew a minister one time, and a powerful minister, powerfully anointed, and he had a traveling ministry. And... Uh, I started noticing some things in his ministry and some things in his life. And the more I looked at it, the more I in, uh, investigated, it wasn't sinful things, getting over into sin. But what I began to notice 
was there was nobody that spoke into his life. There was nobody, when he was off the road, there was no church they called home. People say, yeah, but he was anointed. He had his own ministry. That, that doesn't matter. At, to some level, they were unsafe. Because there was nobody to check their doctrine. Amen. I've had my pastor say before, now, what, what do you mean by that? And I've been a full-time pastor for 23 years this year. I've been knowing about the word since eight. Amen. Does, does that bother me? No, that keeps me safe. That keeps me safe. If that becomes the mindset, treating church like something you just had in your life, you'll become disconnected from the very thing that can change your life. I had a person one time get upset with me about nothing. And when I mean nothing, I mean nothing. Some so-called issue of science. I disagreed with them. It, it's not, it's, it has nothing to do with heaven or hell. It has nothing to do with the word. I just, I didn't see things the way they saw it. They got mad and left the church. People say, why is that a problem? They were deceived. They were deceived. That was deception. That was deception. Amen. And it's not that people can't make it without our church. You can. But you can't make it without a church. If a person decided next week, I'm going to go to another church, praise God, I'm just glad you're going to another church. I mean, I'm going to try to keep you. It's not like we're going to tie you up or anything. <laughs> Right. Amen. I, I remember one time, I'll close with this. I'm only going to take two of my three tonight. So if, I, if I fold my notes up, that means i got to be done. But I remember one time, a young man came and, and was sitting in my house and talking to me about how they were uh, going to leave the church. And uh, I, I can only think, this was probably two, only the second, the first, this was the first of two people that I've ever really tried to convince that they were doing the wrong thing. And uh, they came to me and said, you know, well, well, you know, we're leaving and blah, 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 and this, that, and the other. I don't remember all the reasons. But here's what I do remember. They were really close to the guy that always used to say, what would you think about that? How do you go from sitting across the booth at a table with your pastor, tears streaming down your face, saying, God changed my life in that church. God used the word to change my life in that church. And I'm telling you, you're my spiritual father, and I'll always be there. How do you go from that to I don't care anymore? you got to be deceived. See, it's not about me. It's about where did God change your life? Amen. Edward Morton's feet will always be beautiful in my home because when I went to Deeper Life Christian Ministries, there was, there was something that occurred in my life. You understand? And so ever, ever what happens relationally, amen, that, that person that helped change my life can, can go the other direction, and he hasn't, but here's what I'm trying to say. It, it doesn't change what they did. How do you go from that? You get deceived. You get deceived. And the enemy is always trying to move you away from the truth. Just nudge you away from the truth. Just little bit by little bit. But we're not going to do it. Because we have the word. And the word will stand. Amen. I was meeting with some pastors the other day. And I was encouraging them. And, and I told them, your faith will hold. You just got to keep believing God. You know, there are still pastors out there. There are still men and women out there that, that are stepping off their jobs and going into full-time ministry and stepping out in faith. The local church is still alive and well. 
Amen. Let's stand up tonight, shall we? I hope you receive from that today. Tonight, this evening, what time is it? Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord.